Welcome to the Wednesday Night Bible Study with Don Williams. This podcast is in honor of Don's legacy and teaching. He lived what he preached. Enjoy. Lord, we thank you uh, also that we can not only worship you uh, through our just our prayers and our praise to you, Lord, but we can also worship you through our money. We pray that you'll bless those of us who are able to give tonight, Lord, and bless those who aren't, Lord. We know that we can't earn anything from you. We just receive what you give. And thank you that we can just give back to you as, as we uh, give what we have been entrusted to tonight. And we pray that you'll bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to uh, get underway tonight. <clears throat> In the second chapter, uh, let me just mention to you, and I know that a number of you are regulars here, and we'll put signs on the door next week or something, but we're going to take two weeks off, so um, this will, next, next Wednesday will be our last Wednesday, and we'll take two Wednesday nights off over the Christmas holidays, and then we'll come back. Uh, start a new letter. <laughs> We're going to get through Paul's letters. This is my, uh, you know, my my plan. And so we'll start First uh, Timothy in January, and then we'll do Second Timothy in Philemon, and, and that will cover Paul's letters, and and uh, then we'll kind of see see where we are and where we go from there. But uh, Colossians chapter two tonight, and then we'll do three and four next Wednesday night. That'll complete this letter. Paul says, uh, starting in verse one, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. And Laodicea is a, a, a town nearby Colossae. And uh, these cities are located in eastern Turkey today. Um, they're somewhat near Ephesus. In uh, uh, I say eastern Turkey, I mean to say western Turkey. Kind of western, uh, uh, they're, they're inland, but uh, if you look on your Bible maps, you can spot them. But uh, anyway, these are uh, our sister cities nearby. Uh, I'm struggling uh, for you and for for you, and that's of course the Colossians who live in Colossae and and those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened by uh, in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, or the basic elements, or the elemental spirits of this world, and, and I'll, I'll say a word about this again in, in the study, uh, rather than Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Welcome, Bob. Um, we're in uh, the middle of Colossians chapter 2. Hi, Maddie. Good evening. And uh, uh, we didn't have our worship, normal worship tonight. We just prayed a little bit, and then we're starting our study. So we're in Colossians chapter 2. And I'm reading at verse 10, uh, starting verse 11 now. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. 
When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from, and the head refers to Christ, from whom the whole body, <coughs> supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles, or again, the elemental spirits of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. <clears throat> We're going to start chapter 3 next week, but let me just read into it just to see where Paul goes with this. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So uh, may God bless to us this reading from his word tonight. And again, what we've read uh, basically is Colossians chapter 2. So we want to study uh, this chapter tonight. And uh, uh, let me begin by uh, saying a word about... Uh, uh, about what stands behind this chapter. What stands behind this chapter is a whole spiritual world. If you uh, study ancient history, you know uh, that what we talk today about as a secular world, namely atheists, or not believing in God or the gods, or just a material world, while, uh, while uh, there were philosophies that, uh, that embraced that, they were very, very minor. That basically, in the ancient world, people had this sense of the power of spirits and the gods and goddesses and... Uh, uh, and uh, uh, some religions taught, uh, or many religions taught a kind of a high God overall, but then uh, various other sub-deities under this. And, and the world uh, was just populated with gods, goddesses, spirits, uh, all kinds of, uh, of spiritual beings, angels, demons, and what have you. And uh, at the same time, the ancient world also uh, was very determined by astrology, where people believed that their destiny was... Uh, uh, determined by the, the sign under which they were born and then the stars kind of fixed their destiny. So there was a great sense of helplessness and hopelessness before uh, the, uh, that, that kind of astrological determinism. Um, and so basically, uh, uh, you know, one approach to life was to try to protect yourself against all of these demonic spirits that flooded the world around you. And so having charms and uh, amulets and uh, uh, and uh, 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 you know certain words that you could use, certain uh, key words or, or spiritual words with authority to ward off the evil spirits. This was uh, one preoccupation. Another was uh, uh, to uh, uh, to find some spiritual experience 
that would set you free from all of the dark demonic spirits in this world. And so uh, one of the things that was certainly characteristic of the world in which Paul preached the gospel was a deep spiritual longing, a longing for salvation, a longing to be released from uh, the dark powers of this world and the bondages of this world. And uh, in that sense, the ancient world is pretty much uh, you know, analogous in, in ways to our modern world. I picked up a copy of uh, Newsweek magazine. This was November 28th, so this was a couple weeks ago. But the cover is The Search for the Sacred. And uh, um, I want to show you how close the ancient world and the modern world are. This article, which is, wasn't that good an article, uh, began by talking about a woman who grew, grew up in a very kind of a doctrinaire Protestant family, uh, but she drifted away from organized religion and sought inner peace for 18 years in nature by rock climbing and hiking in the desert. Now, I'm going to read just a little bit from the article. Then six years ago, in the aftermath of an emotionally draining divorce, McLean's spiritual life blossomed. Just as she had once explored mountains, she began scouting the inner landscape. She started with Unity, a metaphysical church near her Marin County, California home. It was a revelation light years away from the Old Testament kind of thing I knew very well from my childhood. That's a quote from her. The next stop was Native American spiritual practices. Then it was Buddhism at Marin County Spirit Rock Meditation Center, where she... Uh, has attended a number of retreats, including one that required eight days of silence. That's serious. Uh, these uh, different rituals melded into a personal religion which McLean, a 50-year-old nurse, celebrates at an ever-changing altar in her home. Right now, the altar consists of an angel statue, a small bottle of sacred water blessed at a woman's vigil, a crystal ball, a pyramid, a small brass image of Buddha sitting on a brass uh, leaf, a votive candle, a Hebrew prayer, a tiny Native American basket from the 1850s, and a picture of her most sacred place, a mandarin tree near her home. And this is all on her altar. And it's cut, you know, changes as, you know, as, as, as her mood changes, I suppose. Well, here you have a woman who is obviously you know, on, on a spiritual quest, and her answer, like so many in our culture today, is to kind of, in a sense, pick and choose your own spirituality and put it together... Uh, the word pluralism would be a word that would describe, you know, or eclecticism, her approach to, to, to her spiritual life. And so what she's doing is she's going out and kind of, you know, dabbling in this, dabbling in that, and then trying to put it together. Uh, and this, was, this whole attitude, kind of pluralistic or syncretistic attitude, was also very characteristic of the first century. So you would have people being involved in a number of different religions, uh, none of which were exclusive in terms of their claims upon their life, uh, you'd have people um, engaging in spiritual practices or quests, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and this infused the culture and also stood as a tremendous challenge to the absolute claim of Jesus Christ and the exclusive nature of the Christian faith. In other words, if you become a Christian, you know, then why not have a little Buddha? You know, I mean, after all... Uh, you know, uh, why not find spiritual life wherever you may find it? Maybe you should put a pyramid over your bed and, you know, and, and kind of capture uh, pyramid power and then, uh, you know, uh, uh, get some holy water blessed at a woman's vigil, whatever. I'm not sure what that was, but, you know, and, and, and so, uh, so that kind of spirit of collecting spiritual things uh, is characteristic of of numerous people today, and some of it superstition, some of it spiritual longing, some of it, from my point of view, is also demonic confusion and darkness. Uh, but 
Uh, but again, this is a challenge for Christians, I think, in every generation. And what we see here in Colossians chapter 2 is Paul responding to the challenge of this kind of eclectic spirituality, okay, with also a good dose of legalism thrown in, Jewish legalism. So Paul here is facing what I would describe the double danger for the church, and it's a danger that each of us uh, you know, ha have to respond to and, and may be a threat to us. On the one hand, a kind of mystical spiritual experience where that experience is the end, the goal. So what I am looking for is some experience that's going to be kind of overwhelming or that will identify me with the universe or make me feel, uh, give me a feeling of bliss or what have you. So the goal of my life is experience, not the living God, okay? So the goal of my life is some life-changing experience, some mystical or, or spiritual experience that will, uh, uh, that, that will validate either myself as a spiritual being or give me some answer to the spiritual reality of the universe. In the 60s, uh, I knew uh, a lot of people who became involved in hallucinogenic drugs in LSD, because, and, and some people, uh, on an experimental level, they were seriously in quest of some kind of spiritual experience. And if it were drug-induced, that was fine, because the goal, again, was the experience. And if they took this particular hallucinogenic and kind of saw the material world melt around them, and suddenly, you know, they were released from, uh, from what they viewed as maybe the bondage of this material world, and suddenly they were brought into a whole new world, that was terrific, because, again, the goal is the experience itself. Uh, so so that's, that's one threat, and I'll say a little bit more about that. And... But if you can't find some internal experience to validate your life and, uh, and give you hope beyond the grave or give you some sense of, of spiritual oneness with the universe or, or whatever it may be, uh, then uh, maybe you can find it in some external uh, 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 ritual or, or legalistic uh, activity. And uh, what's happened here in Colossae is that the two have been blended together. On the one hand, you have this kind of experimental and visionary spirituality along with a solid dose of legalism and legalism without the freedom of the spirit and spirituality without the authority of Jesus Christ and the Word of God you know both of those things will take you away from reality they will not bring you to reality and this is what we'll see Paul saying here as we get into the text now uh, again, let me remind you, those of you who were here last week, Colossians chapter 1, Paul begins on the offensive, not on the defensive. Chapter 1 is offensive. I don't mean it's offensive, offensive. You know, it's not, you know, negative offensive. But Paul goes on the, on the offensive, proclaiming the supremacy and the greatness of Jesus Christ. Okay? Chapter 2, then, Paul goes on the defensive, defending himself and defending the Colossians against this you know, say potluck spirituality, smorgasbord spirituality, and legalism, which are, uh, are threatening their uh, relationship with Jesus Christ and the finality of Christ in their lives. And so, chapter 1, Paul basically says, Jesus Christ is, you know, he, he, is, uh, uh, he is absolute, he is final, and, uh, and, and he is uh, the, the very reality of God himself given to us. And then in chapter 2, Paul says, in light of that, you see, in light of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, then why settle for less? Why settle for some, you know, cheap, counterfeit, or demonic spiritual experience when you can have the Son of God Himself, you see? Why settle for some little bitty laws that aren't going to really serve you at all when you can have a whole new life 
in Jesus Christ and the power to live a godly life, not by a bunch of rules and regulations that have been imposed upon you, but by the work of the Spirit of God within you. So this is the way Paul argues in, in chapter 2. And what he contrasts are, you might say, the partial uh, things that, you know, of this world with the complete gift that God has given to us in His Son. And then later Paul will say that the Old Testament laws were simply a shadow of the substance which has now been given to us in Jesus Christ. So we have these contrasts that Paul makes at the heart of this chapter. Uh, just scan down the chapter. Look at 2.4. Paul talks about uh, let no one, uh, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So there are arguments that are being made uh, to the Colossians. They have a good sound to them, but they're deceptive. Look at 2.6. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, uh, which depends on human tradition and, and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So again, Paul is contrasting it's hollow, it's empty, it's deceptive, it'll lead you astray. It's a philosophy, it's a, it's a human construction, and it depends on human tradition, but it also has a dark spirituality in it. And let me say something about uh, what's uh, translated here in the NIV and the basic principles of this world. The Revised Standard Version translates this. Uh, the Greek, uh, the Greek is, which doesn't really make that much difference unless you know Greek, but it's stoichia tu cosmu, and it's translated in the Revised Standard Version as the elemental spirits of the universe. Now, for a lot of reasons, I believe that that's a better translation, and what Paul is referring to here is both human tradition and demonic spirits and dark spirits. And so the basic principles of this world, uh, again, it sounds like some chemistry class or something, and that's not it. Paul here is talking about uh, these uh, elemental spirits that, uh, that, that operate in and through human tradition and deceptive philosophy. So there's a spiritual darkness that's operating in the midst of this. Okay, Look again, uh, at 2.11 Paul speaks of circumcision and he says, contrasts uh, Jewish circumcision with the true circumcision, which is spiritual. In 2.14 he talks about the written code, namely the law that has been canceled in the cross. And then in 2.15 he talks about these demonic powers and authorities. So again, part of what Paul is contending against is a kind of Judaism that comes with this spirit, which is wedded to this um, uh, uh, spiritual uh, uh, philosophy and, 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 and demonic power and what have you. Okay, in 2.16 he says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival and new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. So here we clearly see that Paul is contending against those who would bring these Christian converts under the Jewish ritual law. Look at 2.18. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. So here again, the worship of angels would be this uh, sp uh, spiritual visionary uh, 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 worship and quest uh, on their part. Um, Paul says, such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen. And so here we have all this speculation about, uh, about angels and the structure of the universe and the cosmos and what have you. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle or empty notions. So Paul says all of this is, n is not a sign of spirituality. It's really the consequence of an unspiritual mind. And human pride, which puffs him up, is, uh, is, is the, the motivation. And, that, and, and human pride, uh, is, and this puffing up of human pride comes out of all the vanity of this and the deception of it. So once again, the question isn't, are you a spiritual person or not? <laughs> the question is, what kind of spirits are operating in your spirituality? You know, or to be a little more pointed, is it the Holy Spirit or is it a bunch of other spirits? So th that's, that's uh, you know, what, what Paul is, is uh, really uh, 
seeing an issue here. Look at verse 20. Since with Christ you died too, and again, the basic principles of this world, but I'm translating this or rendering this, the elemental spirits, the demonic spirits of this world or of the universe, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? So here we have this spiritual power, dark spiritual power wedded to legalism. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. So this again is a fleshly kind of worship. Their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. The asceticism which also enters in here. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So all of these rules and rituals and regulations and kind of the dark demonic power behind them, Paul says, really end up uh, not fulfilling the promise that they make because, of course, they, the, 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 the rules and regulations simply deal with the external issues and the, the visionary subjective experiences have to do with a, a fleshly or just a human uh, uh, you know, understanding and, 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 uh, and, and, and all of this is contrasted with the finality and the completeness of the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and, 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 and again, when you have Him, then Paul is arguing you don't need any of this stuff. Matter of fact, uh, you need to be rid of all this stuff. So, uh, so again, let's take a look then at the chapter itself, um, uh, starting in verse 1. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea. And this struggle, of course, is a spiritual struggle that Paul's engaged in, and the battle that he's going to lead here, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the defense against this darkness in chapter 2 is a part of this struggle. And for all those who have not met me personally. So Paul's deeply engaged in their spiritual well-being, although he doesn't know them face to face. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, you know, whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now notice the words here in verse 2. Full riches, complete understanding, and then in verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and, 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 and the center of that is the mystery of God, now unveiled and revealed to us, namely the Lord Jesus Christ himself. See, so what Paul is saying here by the very language, why settle for that which is imperfect, incomplete, transitory, human, uh, or of this world, vain philosophy, and, uh, and, and, and elemental spirits, why settle for that when you can have that which is complete and full and final, God's uh, own uh, revelation of himself, this mystery now revealed, Jesus Christ, and in him you have all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. So why go after this vanity when you have everything that your heart and your spirit and your mind can desire in the Lord Jesus Christ? So that's, okay, that's the argument that Paul makes all the way really through this letter. But... Uh, so, so, so he, said, he begins again with a positive statement. You have everything in Jesus Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So rather than seeking after some speculative cosmology, rather than seeking after you know, a, a, an altar in your, in your house where you can just uh, you know, have your little Buddha and your blessed holy water you know, and your, uh, your pyramid and, uh, you know, and your votive candle and your uh, Native American basket from 1850 and what have you. You know, rather than having all this stuff, you don't need this stuff, Paul's saying. You know? In Jesus Christ, all wisdom, all knowledge, everything, 
The very mystery of God Himself has been given to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. So why collect all this stuff and go off on all these spiritual tangents and baloney? Matter of fact, there's even darkness in this when you know what you already have in Jesus Christ. So again, the best defense is a good offense, and Paul begins here, and, you know, and then he's going to launch into this stuff more, more uh, with, with more warning, but, but, uh, but he, he begins by this positive, uh, clear statement of Jesus Christ. We're in Colossians chapter 2. Do you guys have Bibles? Everything but Bibles. I think there's some on the shelf back there, but uh, anyway, we're, we're in the second chapter of Colossians right the, toward the beginning. Okay. Now, verse 4, Paul says, the reason why I'm telling you, once again reminding you that you have everything in Christ, is because I don't want anybody to deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And again, you know, what Paul sees is that these, you know, new believers, they're out in kind of the, in the marketplace of spiritual confusion. And, uh, and this was quite literally true. The ancient world was filled with traveling philosophers and holy men and gurus and, uh, you know, religious freaks and kooks. And they were all out there babbling their different doctrines and speculating about this and that. And, uh, and some of them were real charlatans. Some of them were, were really seriously kind of spiritual people who were in league with the powers of darkness. And, uh, uh, but uh, but, but, but here, here all this is flooding in upon you. So Paul wants to defend these believers from this. And he says in verse 5, Though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are, how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, verse 6, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him. Uh, Christ Jesus as Lord. Notice, Paul, and Paul could write this as you received Him as Savior, but what Paul's stressing here is the Lordship of Jesus Christ, His sovereignty over all things. And, uh, uh, and, and, and having submitted your life to Him, continue to live in Him. And here's how Paul wants us to be, rooted and built up in Him. In other words, Paul sees us submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and then um, uh, living in Him, walking in Him day by day with our roots dug down deeply into Him and at the same time, kind of uh, switching the metaphors, being built up in Him, strengthened in the faith you were taught and then overflowing with thanksgiving. So out of this, this, is not, this isn't dry doctrine. This is joyful thanksgiving as the consequence of this and worship. So Paul... Uh, Paul says, okay, you received the Lord, now continue on in Him and be, and be grounded and built up in Him. And if you live this way, then you're going to be defended against all the religious garbage that's being flung at you out of, out of the world. So, verse 8, here comes the religious garbage. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Again, it's empty, it's hollow, but it's also deceptive, and that's its danger. There's a deception that comes there. And... Uh, uh, and, 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 and it can be seductive in that sense, which depends on human tradition and, and again, this is my rendering of this, and I, but I think it's right, and the basic, uh, the elemental spirits of the universe uh, rather than on Christ. So it, it's both human, in this, but it's not just human ideas and what have you. It comes in this spiritual setting that will deceive you um, and there's this spiritual darkness operating in it. So there's the warning. Now, here's the answer, once again, in verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given to fullness in Christ, or uh, New American Standard, and you are complete in Him. In, for in Christ, uh, 
uh, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, and you are complete in Him. Okay, so this is what Paul is saying. Now, over against this human tradition and what have you, stands Jesus Christ Himself. And in Him, all, notice again, look at the words, all the fullness. And then in, in verse 10, you've been given to fullness. So if the fullness is in Him, and all the fullness, and you are full, you are complete in Him. You see, if you're complete in Jesus Christ, there won't be room for what? For speculation, idle philosophies, vain imaginations, spiritual darkness, and what have you. In other words, a house that's occupied, you know, by, uh, fully occupied by the presence of God will exclude the presence of the enemy. A house that's fully occupied by the truth of God will exclude the lies and falsehoods of this world. And so what, what Paul's appealing to again, and he wants us to know this and believe this and receive this, is that all of God's fullness is given to us in His Son. And if we're complete in Him, then we're not going to be vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy upon us. But at the points at which we're incomplete, or we feel incomplete, or we open the door to that, then again there's spiritual and religious and, and, and moral confusion will come in upon our lives. So, okay, so what's Paul's answer then to all the spiritual smorgasbord that's out there, the spiritual garbage being flung at us? The answer is, focus on Jesus Christ, keep your attention riveted on Him, and know who He is. Now, let me, let me tell you, at the heart of this chapter, Paul is simply going to tell us Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God and He's died on the cross to defeat all the powers of darkness and therefore, in, in who Christ is, namely the incarnate Son of God and what He's done for you in His death and resurrection from the dead, that's it. So, if you keep focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God who died on the cross for you, then you're going to be able to fend off all the spiritual darkness that's going to come in upon you. It isn't going to stick. Uh, my wife and I were in Sonoma, California, on vacation a few weeks ago. Um, and let me just say, Sonoma is one of the charming towns in, in, in the state of California. If you've ever been there, it's where the El Camino Real ends. It ends in Sonoma. And the last mission was built, this chain of missions that came all the way up you know, through uh, Central America to Sonoma. That was the last mission. But they still have the old square there and, uh, and many of the you know, uh, buildings that were built before California went into the Union. It's really charming, wonderful restaurants, little hotels. I, I sound like I'm being paid by the Chamber of Commerce of Sonoma to make this announcement to you. But anyway, if you ever have a chance to visit Sonoma, it's wonderful. But one of the neat things about Sonoma is that they have, a par this, the, you know, they have the old square, but in, in the old square, uh, with all these wonderful buildings around it, historic buildings and what have you, they have this big pond filled with ducks. Now, you may not like ducks at all. I happen to like ducks. I enjoy watching them and, I, and what have you. And here are all these ducks. But you know what? I saw for the first time, I'm sure I've seen it before, but it really st stuck with me. There's this mallard duck who dove down in the water, came back up out of the water, and you know what? He came up with water on his back, and you know what? The water rolled off his back like water off a duck's back. It was absolutely wonderful. You know, I, I finally, you know, you know, I finally, you know, have the visual picture. I can see this. And the water, it did. It didn't penetrate him at all. He was totally and completely and perfectly defended against the water. He didn't get wet at all. You know, if I'd done that, I would be all wet. But, uh, but this duck is prepared for water, and water went off his back like water off a, a duck's back, literally. And I want to tell you that tonight because, again, this is my picture that I have here. You see, if you know the fullness of Jesus Christ and who He is, then the garbage thrown at you will go off 
you like water off a duck's back. You will be already defended, not because you've gone around kind of like with this suspicious, careful, defensive posture, but because you have the fullness of Jesus Christ and you know who He is and you know who you are in Him and that's the best possible defense against all of the darkness around us. Now, look at what Paul says about the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 9. Paul says, in Christ, all, okay, so now we have, we have the totality, all the fullness of the deity. Now, what Paul, the, the word deity here in the original language means the divine nature, not simply divine attributes, like Jesus is loving like God is loving and Jesus is holy like God is holy. Paul's saying more than that. He's saying that the Lord Jesus Christ himself has all the fullness of deity. Now, that doesn't mean that he is all of God because God is greater, Father, Son, and Spirit, than, 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 than the eternal Son. But it means that the fullness of, of, of the divine nature is in him, in Christ, okay? And that fullness of, of the divine nature, not simply the attributes, but the very nature of God, look at it. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And, and which means, of course, that the full nature of God came into this world in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate the incarnation. God came into human flesh in His Son and lived amongst us. And so when we see the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of the very nature of God Himself revealed in His Son. Again, in John's Gospel in chapter 14, you remember Philip saying to Jesus, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus says, have you been with me so long, Philip, and yet you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. When you see the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, He is the exact expression and representation of the Father. And so, uh, so what Paul is saying here is, these deceptive philosophies and these human traditions and these you know, demonic spirits and what have you, as they come at you, they will be like water off a duck's back when you know that, that everything uh, that's, that's truly spiritual, namely the very nature of God himself, dwells in, in the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. So that's number one. So look at who Christ is. That's number one. And number two, look at who you are. Verse 10, and you've been given to fullness in Christ, or again, uh, Revised Standard Version, and you are complete in Him. So, He is the fullness, and your fullness comes from Him. And again, if you really know you're complete in Him, then you're not going to be looking for a little Buddha to put on your God shelf, you know, or your, or your altar at home, and, uh, you know, in a pyramid. And for those of you who came in late, I'm, I, I read this part of this little article from Newsweek about, uh, about modern spiritual quests, the search for the sacred. And it talked about this woman who uh, came out of kind of a traditional Christian background and left that behind and then went on this spiritual quest. And she's a 50-year-old nurse living, of course, in Marin County. This is, you know, wouldn't you know they go to Marin County looking for an illustration? But anyway, and she, she's, you know, she's gone to Buddhist retreats and, and, and and uh, and and all these different you know spiritual and it's kind of like it's kind of like a, you know like a, a a shopping center mall you know and you just go from spiritual shop to spiritual shop and you just pick up a little of this a little of that and then she's taking it home and she has this altar at home which you know the author of the article says that and she you know changes it around periodically so she has you know her little spiritual things on it now but you know she'll bring other things on and probably take other things off and what have you. 
well, clearly this woman has no sense that the fullness is in Jesus Christ, and therefore, you know, she doesn't have to go beyond Him. She can't go beyond Him. There's no way to go beyond Him because the fullness of God's own nature dwells in Him. And then the other part of it is, you know, therefore, those of us who belong to Him, we are complete in Him. We find our fullness in His fullness. Now that becomes a, a, the, the adventure of faith, doesn't it? Can I really be satisfied in Jesus Christ? That's, that becomes the very personal issue, doesn't it? Okay, the... How can I know that? Well, number one, I need to know who He is. And number two, then I need to claim, really tonight in faith, the promise that my completion is in Him. That's, that's really the healing of addiction, isn't it? You know, that hole in the soul that John Bradshaw talked about? You know, trying to somehow shove something into my life with this great sense of emptiness and loneliness inside. And uh, uh, Jesus Christ is the only one that can really fill that hole inside of me. So I need to know that, and then, secondly, I need to receive it and walk in it. Let me just glance back again at verse 6. It's getting a little out of order, but as Paul says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted, built up, strengthened, and overflowing with thank thankfulness. So, so I need to appropriate that into my life day by day, and, uh, and, and He is my fullness, and I am complete in Him. That's the way God views me. That's the objective truth, okay? subjectively, I need to experience this more and more. And as he increases in me, remember John the Baptist's phrase in John 3, he must increase, I must decrease. As he increases in me, uh, I will experience this more and more, and, and there will be less and less taste for this, you know, sp spiritual garbage that's all around us in the environment, okay? Uh, so Paul says, uh, again in verse 10, you've been given the fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. So Jesus Christ rules over all heavenly powers, all spiritual powers, all demonic powers. He is over everything. In Him you also were circumcised. And again, now Paul, I think, is referring to this legalism that comes with this mysticism and that's endangering the church. You were circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men. So don't be, get involved in Jewish ritual whether it's circumcision or Sabbaths or new moons or whatever. Don't go under the ritual law. Your circumcision is not by hands. In other words, it's not a physical act, but with a circumcision done by Christ. In other words, the covenant has been marked into your spirit by what Jesus Christ has done, and that's signed and sealed. Look at it in verse 12, in baptism. Having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. So, baptism, again, as circumcision in the Old Testament was the sign of the covenant that you belong to Israel, males belong to Israel by being circumcised, so the sign of the new covenant is baptism. But it's not a physical act that, that is the reality, it's the spiritual act of being baptized into Christ. And when I'm baptized into Christ, I die with Him uh, in the waters of baptism, and then I'm raised into the new life that I now live in Him, as Paul says, through your faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. Um, and again, I, 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 uh, coming from my Presbyterian background, I, you know, I think uh, in the Presbyterian church, uh, three modes of baptism are accepted in the, in the book of order. Sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. So, the mode isn't what's important, it's the reality, you know, that's signified by the mode. So I wouldn't, you know, die on the hill of how do you baptize, you know, I mean, Baptists would die on that hill, and I, I wouldn't die on that hill. But 
One of the things that I like about immersion, let me just say this in terms of the symbolism, and we baptize a lot of people now in the ocean. We just go down to the Pacific Ocean and dunk them. Uh, it's, you know, it's free and it's accessible. And it's also cold this time of year. But, but the nice thing about, about the symbolism is that what it represents is death. So when you're baptized into Christ, and that's a spiritual reality, okay, it's a dying to the old world and the power of sin and Satan and all this religious garbage you know, being thrown in upon us. So, and when you go down into the water, you see, you vanish. And so it's like going down into the grave, as Paul says. And then when you come out of the water, it's the sign of resurrection. You know, that's the new life. So as Jesus was raised from the dead and came out of the tomb, so as you rise up out of the water, then uh, you know, that's the sign that you're a new creation in Christ. And so P Paul says again, as circumcision sealed the old covenant, uh, and Abraham was commanded this in Genesis chapter 17, so baptism seals the new covenant, and the new covenant isn't simply something that's external, which was true of circumcision, but it's spiritual. And so the external act represents the spiritual reality. When I come to Christ and come to His cross and give my life to Him, I die to the old life, and then God raises me into the new life that I have with Him. So, 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 so you might say this then is, 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 is the, the personal... Uh, 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 you know the, the personal reception into my own life of, uh, of, of, of the reality of, of all of who Christ is and, and being complete in Him. And I then enter into that life uh, through faith in Him and dying to my old life and being raised into a new life. Okay, now in verse 13, Paul ex uh, explains the foundation for this. And the per no notice here again, the positive teaching here, the person of Christ, that all the fullness of the Godhead uh, or the deity dwells in Him in bodily form. So that's the incarnation. And then the cross. And now, now in, in verses 13 through 15, Paul's going to draw our attention to the cross. Okay, so look at it in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. So when you were just living in the flesh and dead in your sins, this is without Christ. God intervenes, okay? God made you alive with Christ. So you were dead, God brought you to life, resurrection life, by calling you to Jesus Christ. He forgave us all our sins, so... Forgiveness of sins unites us to the living God, having canceled the written code. Now, that's the law, the Old Testament law, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. So the law is against us because, again, we're sinners and we can't fulfill it. So the law is the positive expression of the will of God, but the law becomes a negative uh, you know, judgment upon us because of our sin and rebellion against God. So, so Jesus Christ forgave us our sins, canceling the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, and again, these are the spiritual powers, the demonic powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them. He exposed them, triumphing over them, by the cross. So what Paul is once again saying here is that not only is the fullness of God for us, uh, you know, given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also that's his person. But on the cross, then he dealt with our separation from God by our sins, the law that stands against us with its regulations and the powers of darkness, verse 15, that use the law to keep us in bondage. And because Jesus Christ died for us, lifting the law, fulfilling its demands, and lifting it from us, as Paul says, uh, 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 canceling it, 
canceling those demands against us, uh, He not only uh, fulfilled uh, the law to bring us into fellowship with the living God through His gift of righteousness to us, but He took the law out of the hands of the demons who usurp it and use it against us. So, by fulfilling the law and canceling the debt against us, and can the law being canceled on the cross where Christ fulfilled the law and died uh, for, uh, uh, you know, for us in our place, taking the judgment that we deserve, having broken the law, as, as Jesus cancels that on the cross, he, and, and this is the other thing that happens there. You know, not only is God's, God's righteous judgment lifted from us, taken by His Son, not only is the law fulfilled for us, but... The demons are disarmed uh, because they take the law and, and, uh, and exploit it now. And again, this is what Paul is warning against, the Colossians, all these rules and regulations, and this is the way to really be holy, and you've got to keep all uh, the, the, you know, the Sabbath and the new moons and what have you. And Paul says this is, they're just a shadow of what's to come. What's come to us is the substance of Jesus Christ himself, but these demonic spirits will take the law, put us into confusion, and trick us into thinking that somehow we can get godly and spiritual by these disciplines, by these special you know, spiritual exercises and what have you, and then we can somehow get closer to God and merit His love rather than simply giving all that up, falling on our faces before God and letting Him get close to us out of His love and by His Spirit because He's the God who's come to bless us, not because we're good or pious or holy, but because He's gracious and loving and forgiving. And that's a whole different deal. Now, I'm not against spiritual disciplines. I think we should read the Bible every day. I think we should pray. I think fasting is appropriate at times in really seeking the Lord, you know, and, and I think we should be disciplined in worshiping God together. And I, you know, I believe in these things. But look, that doesn't ever gain me position with God. That simply is the expression of the position that God has given to me in His Son. Do you understand the difference? See, it's a me has been given to me in His Son. We're complete in Him. I'm not complete by fasting or praying or reading the Bible or being a pastor. I'm complete because Jesus Christ is the fullness of God and He has made me complete. Now, out of that completion in Him, then what, what happens? I want to do God's will. I want to serve Him. I want to, you know, uh, follow the calling that He's put upon my life. I want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Him, you see. But it's coming out of the truth of who I am in Him and more than that, who He is. You see the difference? See, it's the difference between religion and reality. It's the difference between trying to work your way up to God and simply, you know, giving that up and letting God come to you. It's the difference between law and grace. It's the difference between all of God's love and goodness to us. You see, but religion teaches that you've got to do all these things, and this is exactly what was endangering the Colossians. And look, what it ultimately does is it adds to the supremacy and finality of Jesus Christ. This is religion in one of its forms, Christ plus. See, and it says something like this, well, you've accepted Jesus Christ or you believe in Him, great, but that's not enough. Now, you've got to follow these rules and regulations, you know, come under these rituals, um, uh, you know, worship these angels, have these visionary experiences and blah, 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 and that will really complete your faith in Christ. Or, you know, you've got to, whatever it is. So it's Christ plus, and Paul shatters that all the way through his letters. It's not Christ plus anything. It's Jesus Christ alone, period, finally, fully. He is the fullness of the Godhead, dwells bodily in Him, you are complete in Him, that's that. 
Okay, look at verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink in terms of dietary rules and regulations or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, which of course was monthly, or a Sabbath, you know, weekly celebration. The religious festivals would be things like Passover and, and the Jewish uh, you know, uh, festival year. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. In other words, they pointed beyond themselves or they were simply a reflection of the reality yet to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And so all these things are fulfilled in Christ. For example, the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath? God rests on the seventh day. Genesis chapter 2. I think it's verse 4, right? God works six days, rests on the Sabbath day. What is the Sabbath then? The Sabbath, the day that God rests, completing His creation then, is picked up throughout the Scriptures as a sign of salvation. And so Hebrews says that God calls us to enter into our Sabbath rest, and that rest is found in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, when do we keep the Sabbath? We're in the Sabbath. See, once we're saved, we're in the Sabbath. So it's not, this is the basic argument against Seventh-day Adventism. You know, they say, you've got to worship on Saturday because that's commanded in the Old Testament. And my answer is, I worship every day. I mean, my day, you know, every day is the Sabbath day for me. I believe in having a day, you know, set aside for the Lord, and Sunday is the appropriate day because Christ was raised from the dead on Sunday. So that's the switch. But we have entered into the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a shadow of the salvation given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Passover, when the Passover lambs were slain and, and, and God's people were brought out of bondage in Egypt, is a shadow of Christ's death on the cross as the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So we don't celebrate the Passover. You know, don't come around this church in the spring. We're not going to be slaying lambs up here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> We don't need to do that anymore, thank God, because the final lamb has been slain. So we'll celebrate, you know, Christ's death as the fulfillment. We have the substance of Christ. We don't need the shadow anymore, you see? So Paul says that all these rules and regulations given in the Old Testament simply pointed to the fullness which we've received in the Lord Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of the law in Him. Verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility, and that false humility because there's religious pride lurking behind it, and the worship of angels, and by the way, that's rampant in our culture today. You know, I mean, people are holding seminars on how to meet your, you know, angel or something like that. And I mean, it's just, you know, and it's an absolute substitute for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I believe in angels, but I don't worship angels. Angels are messengers from God. They pop in and out throughout the whole of the Bible. And, uh, you know, and, and I believe that, you know, they're active today uh, in our world. But, uh, but we don't worship angels. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so this false humility and angel worship, don't let anyone disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen. And a lot of this, you know, a lot of these books on the market today, not only that deal with angelology, but also, uh, you know, uh, out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences, um, with great de detail, visionary experiences, Paul says, they go into this great detail with their unspiritual mind and are puffed up with idle notions. And again, you see, it's only through the Holy Spirit that we can know the things of God. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, the natural man or the natural person, the natural mind does not receive the things of the Spirit of God that are foolishness to it. So I don't care whether somebody's had an out-of-body experience and caught up in, into heaven and comes back and writes a bestseller book that sits on the New York Times, you know, top of the New York Times bestseller list for months. 
No, the only way that I can really know the reality of God and His and the spiritual world is by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, I'm simply subject to all these other spirits and false spirits and lying spirits and deceiving spirits. And believe me, the devil's smart. He always will disguise himself as an angel of light and give us part of the truth. Part of the truth is is false. Okay? It's only when we have the whole truth that we have the truth. A partial truth is a lie. Take it from me. Okay, so uh, worship of angels disqualify you as such a great detail in spiritual mind. What have you? Uh, verse 19. He has lost his connection with the head, namely with Christ, from whom the whole body, which is the whole church, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows up as God caused it to grow. So once you break the connection from Jesus Christ, then you're subject to all this you know, religious garbage flying around, as I've said tonight. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Again, these are uh, reflecting Jewish dietary rules. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They look like you're really spiritual, really smart, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, with pride, religious pride lurking behind them, and their harsh treatment of the body, asceticism. But they lack any value in restraining the flesh or sensual indulgence. And so the answer isn't the rules and regulations imposed upon us from the outside. The answer is the transformation on the inside, which Christ affects when we die with Him and we rise again into a new life. And now Paul's going to go on in chapter 3 and talk, give us the positive exposition of that new life in Christ over against you know, all this religious garbage again that's out in the marketplace. So, that's Colossians chapter, chapter 2. And again, I just want to make these two applications, and I've already made them, so I won't, I won't, kill, my, kill, I won't kill you off with them tonight. We'll end this tonight, okay? But here's the application. Number one, on the positive, it lies at the heart of Colossians chapter 2, and, and it's really the whole center of Colossians chapter 1. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. God's fullness is given to you in His Son. Okay? And your completion lies in Christ, nothing else and nothing less than Him. So hold fast to Him, okay? And as you do that, then, you will not be misled by a false spirituality, a false mysticism that will draw you into some spiritual state away from Jesus Christ Himself. Um, I had a, fr a friend of mine, he's still here in La Jolla, a businessman, he's had a major career in this community, and uh, he used to attend the former church that I was the pastor of here in La Jolla a little bit. He didn't come regularly, but I got to know him. We became friends. And uh, he, he was a, a lapsed Catholic who was on a spiritual quest and still is. Anyway, he, he gave me some literature about uh, meditation. And uh, it had to do, it was really transcendental meditation. It had to do with kind of focusing your mind down and emptying your mind and focusing on one, uh, one name or word or what have you. And, uh, and, and he kept telling me, you know, boy, Don, you really need to try this. Just use Jesus and, and it'll be great. You know, I thought, well, using Jesus, there really shouldn't be anything wrong with this. And so I, you know, I thought, well, okay, I'll give it a try. And I, I can remember, you know, trying, sitting down and kind of following this discipline 
and emptying, trying to empty my mind of everything and not, you know, just kind of have it as a blank and then just think about Jesus. And really, I could begin to feel kind of an altered state inside. And I thought, you know, and, you know, and then I kind of clicked back into my conscious mind and I thought, you know, there's something to this. And then I just felt like the Lord saying, you're right, stop it. <laughs> there is something to this, you know. And, and, and that was it for me. I just, you know, I pulled out of it and I just said, Lord, you know, forgive me for trying to find some spiritual way, you know, that really isn't from you. It isn't grounded in your word. It isn't coming from your grace. It's some spiritual discipline or what have you to try to transcend my conscious mind and, and get into some other state of being outside of you. And, uh, so, so, again, and this, this was the key thing in, in terms of, of this experience, and this is the key difference. Jesus Christ calls us into a love relationship with Himself. If, I, if my spiritual state becomes the goal of my life, even if I call it Jesus, it's not Jesus. Because the goal of my life, my spiritual life, is to love Him and serve Him and to worship Him and to live in relationship with Him not inverted into my own spirituality to find some spiritual relationship with myself. You see the difference? And people who are on a mystical quest, it's not relational, it's impersonal. And it's really, uh, it really is, is, is a technique to try to, uh, you know, achieve some state of, higher state of being or peace or merging with the universe or however it's described. But to live with Christ Himself he is the object of our worship and we are living in relationship to Him. And so our fullness comes not out of our own spirituality, but out of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says that completeness is with Him. So this turns us away from a kind of mysticism or spiritual life unrelated to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that it also frees us from being obsessed with rules and regulations when, again, he has fulfilled all of that for us. And again, the Christian life is not a life of disobedience or sinfulness. It's a, it's a life of righteousness and obedience to God, but it comes out of a relationship with Jesus Christ, not out of trying to you know, fulfill the demands of the law, but, uh, but living in that relationship with Him. And we'll see Paul lay that out for us next week. So anyway, that's it. Let's stand together, shall we? And we'll pray and we'll be on our way.